This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. All right, friends. Um, hi again. Jeremy Steele and myself, Chris Wilterdink, are here hanging out. What's up? Uh, lots of things and not all happy things, unfortunately. Oh, God. I, I know we usually like to hang out and have a great time. Um, and sometimes we like to hang out and process stuff together. And it's been a heavy couple of weeks. Um, hey, Ryan. Week, yeah, last week I had a, a good friend and coworker uh, on the recharge with me named Rory Blakeney. Uh, and he and I talked a little bit about the mass shooting that was up in Buffalo um, and some of the issues related to race and justice that um, were involved with that story. And up until that point in the year, that had been the worst mass shooting in the United States uh, in this calendar year in 2022. And that's not the case anymore because there was a really awful shooting at an elementary school in Texas. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. So I, I hate to just jump in and get heavy fast, but, but that's kind of where we are today. Yeah. But, you know, before we get there, um, I, I, I got to introduce one of my former students. Her name is Megan and she is a mental health professional. She is uh, working as a, uh, a counselor at, at the moment and is on her way to be a licensed psychologist. She's a doctoral candidate. So uh, she's got all of the super smarty smarts um, here. And I remember when she was a much smaller version of herself, uh, little Megan, um, back in the day when she was part of my youth group. So welcome, Megan. Hi, thank you. Now, Megan, before we do get into the heavy heavies, like Jeremy was saying, just because I have this opportunity, you knew Jeremy as like your youth minister. Um, can you tell me a story that Jeremy has either forgotten about or would never freely admit to me about his time <laughs> in ministry when you were in youth group? Yes, I would love to. Um, no, so one of the... <laughs> One of the things that I vividly remember, um, I believe I was probably 13 or 14 at the time, um, and Napoleon Dynamite had just uh, kind of become a cult classic for no. middle and high schoolers. No. Um, so Jeremy took us to uh, summer camp, uh, Camp Lee in uh, Alabama that summer. And as a treat for all of us, he had memor <laughs> he had memorized the um, dance from the end of the movie where Napoleon's in the talent show. And so in full costume, a wig and all, he performed. Um, and it was very formative for little Megan, as he said, because um, I... <laughs> I loved dance and theater and I never thought it was cool until uh, my youth pastor did that. And I was like, okay, no, I can like, I could be cool. I can be cool. And <laughs> thank you, Megan, for sharing that You're with welcome. the world. The even more humiliating part of it is that I'm just, I, it took me, I don't even know how many hours to learn that. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I thought that was a good use of my time. And like, I was, I remember being upstairs in my house um, <laughs> with the DVD of Napoleon Dynamite, like 
pausing, <laughs> rewinding. <laughs> oh, jeez. And well, Megan, I know you're on audio only, so you can't see what I look like, but you have to know I have like very curly hair. So it would not be a stretch for me to uh, do a Napoleon Dynamite for any Halloween. You know what I mean? I can just dress my hair up and really be in some pretty good shape and make sure that Tina eats her ham. So not a problem. Okay, there you go. Um, <laughs> um all right let's let's dive in because megan your your time is valuable and you're joining us while you drive um and uh, we want to talk, jeremy and i want to talk about gun violence stuff a little bit we want to talk about um the impacts on young people the importance of youth leaders and youth ministers being able to you know kind of not shy away from a difficult topic or or traumatic kinds of things uh, and then we'll probably end up throwing some theology in there every once in a while, because that's sort of what we do. Um, but from your perspective as as kind of a mental health professional and as a doctoral candidate, um, when we talk about adolescent psychology, um, when there is something that is traumatic, um, like the, the news stories out of the elementary school shooting in Texas, um, how does that affect... Um, either directly or indirectly, young people who are seeing that story, hearing that story, um, whether it personally touches them or not? Mm. Um, I think the biggest thing that we see in working with, you know, kids, teenagers, um, young adults, whenever there's been a prevalence of gun violence, um, or even just, you know, when it makes national news like it does, um, we see like rises in symptoms of PTSD, um, even if it's not something that they've experienced directly, just the, the anxiety around, you know, going to school and um, potentially experiencing that. Um, we also see because of the conversation around gun violence and mental health, we see a rise in the stigma of those with mental health. And so um, kids who do struggle with depression or anxiety or, um, you know, any sort of mental illness that, you know, is, is fairly common. I think the statistic is that about a third of people in their lifetime will, you know, have a diagnosable mental illness. Um, they wait to seek out treatment until they're older because they're afraid to tell people they're afraid to tell people mm -hmm. that you know they're having some of the thoughts that they're having in terms of um depression and anxiety because they're afraid of what people will think and so um you know i think just this like culture of fear as well as this culture of isolation really gets perpetuated yeah and you mentioned the ptsd symptoms like a rise in that um what could you give us a, what are those symptoms? What are the things that, you know, because I think as um, youth workers or as parents, um, you know, who are, who maybe don't have that sort of mental health training, there might be some behaviors, responses that are unexpected that happen um, that, that just even knowing what these things are, it, it could be one of those like, Oh, oh this is part of the processing of this you know, sort of national tragedy and focus on, on this traumatic event. So, so what are some of those, what are some of the PTSD symptoms that you're talking about? 
Yeah. Um, so for like kids who might have actually experienced a school shooting, that would look like flashbacks, nightmares, um, intense uh, anxiety, um, uh, maybe isolation, loss of appetite, um, things like that for for kids who maybe haven't experienced it themselves, but still see it um, on like a national news media outlet and, you know, have a lot of concern and worry that it could happen to them. Um, that also looks like an increase in anxiety, panic attacks, um, maybe an avoidance of actually going to school, an avoidance of um, maybe even leaving the house because they're afraid of, you know, going to school or a place of worship or even the grocery store. Um, and so, you know, kids and teenagers who are really isolating themselves in an effort to protect themselves um, when, you know, uh, it's hard, I'm sure, as a parent, and, and I'm, you know, I don't have children myself, but I'm sure it's hard from a parental standpoint to, you know, tell them, like, it's okay, because this does keep happening, and this this is, like, a national problem. Um, so, yeah, uh, that would be sort of the symptoms. I think that would be most I can uh, I can completely back you up on what those symptoms look like and the shape that they take. Um, I I kind of cut my teeth in youth ministry. Uh, I'm a Colorado native, uh, and I graduated high school at the end of the last millennium uh, in 1998. Oh wow! Yes, thank you. Um, but so old, Chris. <laughs> that does mean that uh, I graduated high school the year before Columbine happened. And I went to uh, high school in Littleton, uh, right. not Columbine High School, but a different high school. So, you know, I knew a ton of people that were just a year younger than me that went through that. Uh, and the church where I had my first full-time youth ministry position as a youth director, uh, one of my uh, most frequent and mm. best volunteers was a teacher at Columbine. And so when we talk about PTSD for students, very true. But then those those PTSD yeah. symptoms show up for adults that are in those school settings as well, right? So the teachers, the administrators, those kinds of things. And so anytime there's a big story like this, it, it you know, still for me, like 20 something years later, the first three to five people that I text are all the people that I knew from uh, my first youth ministry job um, yeah. to say, hey, how are you feeling? Because I know this story triggers stuff for you. Yeah, wow. Megan. Tell us, yeah. tell us about triggering. Like, what is that? Because we people use that word a lot. They mean a lot of things. But you know, when you're talking about PTSD and this kind of stuff, can, can you can you give us a sense of really what is that? Yeah. No, I think that's a fantastic question because I've you know definitely seen within um, just the way we talk about mental health over the last you know handful of years the the buzzword of I'm I'm triggered or I have a trigger. Um, and people really sort of downplaying that or minimizing it. It's even um, a meme, right? Like so it, the idea, right? Like joking around. Oh, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, I think people sort of use it synonymous to having your feelings hurt. When in reality, that's that's not what it is at all. Um, I mean, there's obviously emotions that play a role in the reaction when you're triggered, but um, a trigger can be almost anything about a traumatic experience that brings back those memories, um, those feelings, and even on a physiological level, um, those sort of hormones, right? The adrenaline, the endorphins of that fight or flight response that we have in um, unsafe or traumatic 
experiences when you experience a trigger, uh, adrenaline can start um, pumping. And so while we hurt, it's very much an actual physiological response to whatever stimuli brings up the traumatic um, event. So for kids with gun violence, uh, it could be loud noises. For um, survivors of sexual assault, it could be just being in close proximity reminds them of their, you know, abuser. Um, it, it could be small things. Um, it could be big things. So it's, it's hard to know what exactly would trigger another person because they're also different and so personal from person to person, but it is a, a, you know, a biological response that happens. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's an important thing to understand is that there's, that's a whole other level, right? That's a, um, you know, being, having a PTSD trigger, it's a, it, it's a, it's a whole other thing. And, and there are people in our life and it's, you know, Megan, I think you, you put it really well. It like, it's not, it's, it's not always things that are expected that are associated with it. And, and it's, it's not, you know, everybody doesn't talk about the fact that they have PTSD. Right. And so there, there could be people that are, that have trauma around, some of this that end up experiencing, uh, you know, a PTSD trigger that uh, that we had no idea, and that might not be sort of really open about it. Um, and they could be in one of these sort of you know, physiological responses when when something comes up that uh, that that we we can't put it, put our finger on, but there's something going on with them, right? in the room in a, in a different way. I, you know, I, I am interested, Megan, <clears throat> because uh, Chris and I uh, are, are not mental health professionals. We don't even play them on TV no, and sure. no, right. And uh, uh, you know, and, and a lot of youth pastors, I, I would say almost every youth pastor I've ever known there was one that was not this way, but but almost every youth pastor I've never known does not have any sort of certificate in mental health of any sort. Um, and uh, they might have taken a, a workshop or something. Um, but, you know, my my thing is when when I'm talking to youth workers and I'm thinking about this myself, I'm constantly reminding myself I am not. A counselor. I am not a therapist. I am not a psychologist or psychiatrist. Um, and so our job, you know, as part of the mental health team is uh, to, to support uh, and to refer. Um, and so I'm wondering, Megan, um, you know, as, as we're talking to youth workers right now, um, what are the things that if, if a youth you know, if a lay person, just a random youth person, youth, youth worker that doesn't have this, you know, kind of great training that you do, what are the things that if, if they see them happening in a young person's life, they should alert somebody and try to refer them to, to somebody who really has the tools to, to help them? What are the things that like, you know, I'm not a counselor. So when I, when I see this happening, I don't need to try to counsel that kid. I need to try to get them um, to a doctor. Right. Um, I think, 
you know, there's obviously the big things in terms of uh, option to um, family structure or any sort of disruption to, you know, kids' life in general. Um, that would be sort of something to look out for in terms of, you know, I'm thinking uh, death and loss or divorce or, you know, obviously very large tragedies like um, mass shootings and things like that on a, right. on and, a smaller, and I mean, uh, I mean specifically with, uh, with this kind of thing, like when they've seen, when, the, when they we're seeing this right. on the news and they're coming to church afterwards and, you know, sometimes their guard is down at church in a way that it isn't at home or whatever. And then the youth worker sees them doing mm -hmm. whatever. What are some of those things that they might exhibit at, at a church that, that you should say, Oh, you know what we should, I should talk to their, I should talk to their parents or I should see about, I should, I shouldn't recommend they, they talk to somebody about that. Yeah, I would say um, any big like behavioral changes you notice. So if someone who is normally a pretty outgoing kid just um, suddenly becomes very withdrawn, uh, that would be a major tell. Um, obviously, you know, things like crying or, you know, uh, there's usually like food at youth events and stuff like that. So if there's a kid who's just like and, and not really saying a lot, and that's not to say that shy kids need to be, you know, uh, right. sort of um, diagnosed or anything like that. But if yeah, it's, if it's a major change in behavior from how they were mm -hmm. prior to something like this, I think any, anything is, is worth mentioning. Um, you know, you might have a kid who did start out a little shy, who just, um, you know, all of a sudden has no interest age with other kids while they are there. Um, that might be also have the kids who might not show any, you know, caretakers of, of youth and, and children and adolescents, but there might be some kids who really, are good at hiding it mm -hmm. and you might never know um, unless they feel comfortable enough to talk to you. And so I think uh, another big thing is just, you know, making sure that youth workers have um, the space and the knowledge to, to even open it up and say, you know, if there's anything that's going on, you know, feel free to talk to me, talk to another youth worker that you trust um, and, uh, you know, really opening it up because you're going to have kids who, you know, cope by just shutting everything down and acting like everything's fine. And you right. might not notice that there's yeah. any changes. Yeah. Well, hey, Megan, thank you so much for getting on and, and chatting with us about this issue. I mean, it, it's it's so helpful to hear someone who really knows what they're talking about yeah. um, help us process this so that we can we can be part of that network of support for young people who are uh, dealing with, uh, you, you know, the really it's frustratingly common um, uh, trauma of of seeing mass shootings in schools happen, um, whether they're close to them uh, geographically or not. It's uh, our access to information makes it um, very, very uh, much part of their world right so um thank you so much megan we really appreciate your time absolutely thank you for having me on yeah all right nice nice to meet you virtually and safe driving okay thank you oh jeremy that was awesome i'm so glad that she could join us um yeah 
There's a couple other pieces I want to make sure we touch on before we uh, say goodbye for the day. Uh, one of them, if you're watching live on Facebook, I did put a series of resources in the um, comments there. Uh, there's a really pretty excellent gun lesson from the youth cartel uh, with yeah. Marco and, and those crew um, that they've made this available for free. It's part of a larger piece, but they kind of pulled this one out and made it available for everyone. Uh, there's a yeah, couple I'm of resources. So appreciative of minutes. him. And he, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we, we've got one on how to have courageous conversations with youth related to gun violence. And it, it's really a, a kind of a format that you can follow for setting up a safe and brave space for conversation, mm -hmm. as well as some really good talking points and a little bit of data that's there. Uh, we also posted a link to a uh, how to put together a lament service um, yeah. that when things happen like this, um, we realize that we are not counselors, right? Like we mentioned with right. Um but uh, part of our job is to help young people understand what God's perspective on this might be. Or, you know, if we're feeling hurt, we got to recognize that God's heart is hurting too. Mm -hmm. um, and a lament service and the, the chance to name the things that are painful uh, really can be part of the processing um, when you're experiencing something at, at this sort of traumatic level. Yeah. Uh, and then the Michigan Annual Conference of the UMC uh, also has put together a nice page uh, worth of trauma resources for children and youth that I'd yeah. link to as well. Um, all right. So God's perspective on gun violence. Um, and I don't mind sharing, I guess, my perspective on gun violence, too, a little bit. Um, I'm happy to. Take but that you're, you're making a distinction between the two, right? Uh, yes, because thankfully <laughs> I am not God, right? That is one of the best parts of, uh, believing in something larger than yourself is that <laughs> it is not about you. And there is, um, something that is much larger and much more important. Um, <laughs> and the journey of discipleship in some ways is like, you know, trying to figure out what God's perspective is on stuff and trying to yeah. line up how we live and act with what God's beliefs about things might be, uh, or God's stance on things might be, um, and violence is a tough one. I mean, gun violence particularly is um, not a uniquely American problem, right? Like there is gun violence in nearly every country in the world. Uh, but in the U.S., it is like magnified uh, uh, so yeah. much higher than any other place in the world. Uh, the U.S. is the only country that has more guns than people, right? So like per capita, yeah. um, there's like 400 some million people that live in the U.S. And that means there's more than 400 million guns. Um across the US. And uh, you know the, and what's crazy about that statistic <laughs> is that uh 2 thirds of Americans don't own any guns. Uh, I would be one of those 2 thirds. Yeah. Same. But it, that's just a crazy thing so there's more guns than people but 2 thirds of those people have zero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that means like there are some incredibly well-armed people out there, right? Uh, and I've got, you know, a good group of friends that, you know, some of them, um, do enjoy guns, right? Like they enjoy sporting guns. They are hunters. They will go out and do those things. Um, Same. uh, really, really eye-opening conversations once upon a time, because, uh, when we lived in Tennessee, the, uh, co-leader for, um, the small group for youth ministry that, uh, he and I co-led for high school boys, we, we were with the same group of boys from eighth grade through 12th grade. So we were there for like four or five years. Um, by now he's a retired FBI agent, but, uh, he was an active FBI agent at the time. And so he was always armed. Um, and he also saw, you know, sort of parts of the world that, um, I do not see on a regular basis because of his job. 
So he was a huge gun rights advocate, but also somebody who was very into responsible gun rights um, and responsible gun ownership, right? Um, and so we would have quite a bit of back and forth about like the role of guns and um, it, it. And I think that we we kind of reached the common ground that like the availability of guns and the ease of getting guns is a big part of the problem. Um, have you ever seen like YouTube videos of somebody trying to put out a fire with the wrong thing? Like if you've got a grease fire on your stove and you throw water on it, it doesn't put out the fire. It just makes a giant fireball because it spreads everything. No, Chris, I wouldn't watch a YouTube video about somebody being unsafe with fire. But you would watch YouTube videos to learn the Napoleon Dynamite dance. This is what I'm hearing. Um, but like, it, it, you know, if, if you're looking at a fire and stovetop fire, if you've got a grease fire and you put water on it, it makes a huge fireball and blows yes. the fire everywhere else. It doesn't put it out. Um, it, and so if we think about it, gun violence in the United States that way, that there's a fire that's going on and we got to figure out the right way to put it out. Um, the pattern over the last 15 to 20 years has been to sort of make guns more available uh, in a weird way, right? Like concealed carry mm -hmm. laws and um, not passing like universal background checks for people and that kind of stuff is not done anything to impact the accessibility of guns to anybody that wants them. And right. as I think about it, I, I think about that image of, okay, everybody recognizes that gun violence is a problem, particularly in schools and, and churches and, and places where there are vulnerable people. Um, but the answer in my mind can't be adding more guns, right? That's like throwing water on the grease fire and watching it get bigger. That's no. where I'm coming from anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, and uh, I, I think for me, I'm in a similar place. Um, I've got friends with guns. I don't have guns. But one of my uh, friends that has a lot of guns, um, I, he and I were having a conversation. Um, and, he, and he lives in a state that is like, you know, totally unrestricted, right? Just really easy to, you know, get guns and ammunition and all the things. Um, and, uh, and I was, it was after one of these horrible tragedies that he and I were talking and I just was lamenting the fact, you know, but you were just the kind of stuff you were just saying. And, you know, what he, he said to me is he said, look, I don't, I don't understand. He's like, I, I like guns. You know, I've got a, a bunch of guns and I like, he goes to shooting ranges and does all of those things. And he's like, I don't understand why, it's easier for me to get and operate and own a gun than it is a car. <laughs> um, and so he said, I think not me, uh, I don't have guns. I don't, I, I don't understand that in that way, but you know, from a guy who really loves guns, he said, I, I just think it should be like a car, you know, like license, insurance tests, all of that stuff. He's like, he's like, I think, He's like, most of the people that I know would be totally fine with that. Most of the gun owners I know would be totally fine with that because it would at least make it more difficult. Mm -hmm. I, and I'm not proposing that. I'm not a politician. I'm not a legal right. person. But I think that there's, it's important to ask that question. And I think that's when I'm talking to youth workers. Um, I think when you engage with this issue, um, asking students and adults, how do we solve this problem without adding more violence or more potential for violence? Uh, 
Mm. Right. So, which I think in your words might say like, without adding more guns to the equation, like how do we fix this um, without that? And then, and then guiding that conversation. That's one of the things I love about some of those resources that you mentioned is um, it's, it's guiding a conversation. Uh, And as we've talked about multiple times on this podcast, um, helping students find their own beliefs and shape their own and form their own beliefs is really helpful long-term, um, even when those beliefs might be different than the ones that you end up at. Um, but our, 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 our healthy role for us to play is that sort of conversation partner and that, that guiding, I think, what did you say that, that the courageous conversations, the, the creating a, a safe space yeah. for and a, and a brave space, right? Where a brave space. That's, that's feel, what I was looking for. People feel safe to be able to say what they need to say and know that they'll be heard, right? Like it yeah. takes a certain amount of bravery to do that. Um, you know, one of the other pieces I think that we can do as youth leaders um, and, and it has to do with that idea of guiding conversation as well and inviting back and forth is thinking about, you know, like the human impact of these things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do think that the current situation puts students and teachers in practically impossible situations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the fact that our children, you and I both have grade school age kids, um, need to go through the process of what they do in a lockdown situation uh, right. multiple times a year is tough. Um, yeah. And for teachers, they find themselves in a really impossible situation too, because they're trying to create a safe and brave learning environment, right? Because you and I both mm-hmm. know from adolescent development, that kind of stuff, um, you need to be able to feel safety if you're going to be able to learn and grow. That's when, when right. successful stuff happens. So teachers are trying to create these safe spaces with this, you know, sort of threat that always feels like it's out there. And and it's not in a teacher's contract, I know, but, you know, when when you're in that classroom, much like a youth leader, if you're in a church, it's understood that you are responsible for those young people that are in your care. Um, And so if there is something that happens with gun violence, it's almost like an unwritten expectation that you are supposed to sacrifice yourself and lay down your life for the kids in your class or the kids in your youth ministry or those kinds of things. And some teachers do. And, and um, it breaks my heart because those teachers often have families, right. And friends that then they have had to leave behind and almost fail because of that impossible situation where there's, there's this violence and expectation there. And I don't think there's an easy answer to it. I I just, uh, I, I don't, I don't think that God, um, created people or created us to uh, put each other in impossible situations. Right. I know that God is there all the time and in all the things, but I also think that God gives us um, the freedom and the ability to not create impossible situations for each other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Ah, this was a heavy week, Chris, but I think it was an important conversation to have. Yeah. And I, I honestly hope and pray that we don't have to have it again soon. Um, part of the part of the other issue with this is like it does happen frequently enough that there's the worry of it becoming routine, or there's the worry of us getting numbed to it. So right. um, I know that we may have to have this conversation again in the future. I pray it's not soon. Um, yeah. And I, I also hold all the youth leaders and youth workers in my prayers as 
school years get wrapped up and as you shift into summer and those kind of things that um, you have the the community that supports you and and you're there for young people as well. And uh, just like Megan said, you recognize where some of the boundaries are between uh, what you can offer as a youth leader and when there might be the right times to pay attention to referrals to counselors or mental health professionals. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I think I'm talked out. You feeling? You yeah, feeling okay? I think that's it. How much of the Napoleon Dynamite dance do you remember? Um, none. You're I'm not doing that my right now. Face, but that's fine. I'm not going to make you do it. Um, <laughs> with that, we will sign off. And yeah, Jeremy, look forward to talking to you next week.